Well, welcome again, and welcome to the Skillman Church of Christ. Uh, I want to take this time to offer our children the opportunity to go to Children's Church with Miss Shalene. Uh, anyone from the ages of two years old to second grade uh, can go now at this time and have a time of worship and uh, a time of teaching with Shalene and Bimpe and Sarah, it looks like. They're going to have a great time to worship. Uh, as they're going, I do want to remind everybody, and uh, I was reminded of this myself just a few minutes ago, uh, but we have taken up two contributions, and uh, in our world today, uh, not everybody walks around with cash in their wallet, and not everybody walks around with a checkbook uh, in their pocket still, and so we do also have opportunities for you to give online, and so if you uh, haven't had a chance, uh, if you didn't have a checkbook or some cash with you today, uh, you can go onto our website and find the Give Online tab on our website, and you can donate to missions or our regular contribution that way. Uh, I, I appreciate June's comment about emptying your pockets. I was going to make the same exact joke uh, myself, but it's too late at this point. Uh, but I will say this, uh, I, I, I'm, just be grateful that the sermon is coming after the contributions rather than before. Because I could have gone all out with that, with kenosis and giving. That could have been a lot of fun for me. But uh, no, I'm glad that you're here this morning. I'm glad that, uh, that you have made it to the Skillman Church of Christ this morning. And I'm glad that we are participating in missions. And uh, as we think about, uh, we've been in, in this sermon series called The Ten Words. And we've been hoping through this whole series that the, the, the purpose that we will accomplish will be that we will be able to talk about and, and practice uh, more regularly loving our neighbors as a result of talking about these different words. And so uh, today is a great example already of how we can do that, is to uh, care about our neighbors locally and globally and trying to find ways to serve them and be involved with them. Uh, but we have been in this series, and we've been talking about 10 words. We've been using word studies uh, to enter into the text, enter into Scripture, and find out what God has in store for us. And so we're going to continue that today with the word kenosis, which Alan and June have already kind of let us know a little bit about. And the, the word kenosis is a Greek word. It shows up in the New Testament a handful of times, and it simply means emptying. Uh, it means to, to be emptied or, or to empty, and, and there's different usages that you can have in the New Testament, but the one that uh, we're going to focus on today, uh, June has read uh, in the book of Philippians, and it's this act that Jesus shows us, he exemplifies, of how to empty yourself. But it's not just emptying, it's not just becoming uh, like a void or lifeless. Uh, there's a purpose to this emptying. You empty yourself, you empty yourself of the selfishness and sinfulness uh, that's within so that you can instead be filled with something different. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says that he has come to bring us life and bring life to the full. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we talk about emptying ourselves, Scripture points us to the fact that we need to be filled with God. We need to be filled with the life that God has in store for us. We need to be filled with the kingdom of heaven that is being brought to earth even as it is there in heaven. So in Christianity, when we talk about kenosis, when we talk about emptying, it's not simply something to get rid of, but it's something to take the place of. So rather than us focusing on our own needs, our own desires and wants, uh, whatever it is within ourselves, instead we set that aside and we say we want to be filled with what God has in store for us rather than what we can plan and contribute our own self. I want to share a couple of passages before we get to our passage in Philippians today, just a couple of examples, because Jesus is a master at this practice of kenosis. When we talk about emptying, Jesus is the one that we should turn to and say, uh, we want to be more and more like Jesus, because he does this so well. He's so good at this emptying 
uh, of giving himself away for the sake of what God has brought to him, of what God has in store for his life. So the first example that comes to mind, it comes out of the, uh, the, ga- the Garden of Gethsemane scene. And uh, the Gospels uh, all have this scene within it. And Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be arrested. He's about to face trial. He's about to be executed. And when he's in the garden, he prays, not my will, but yours be done. The text never says the word kenosis, but the prayer itself is a prayer of kenosis, of Jesus emptying himself and seeking to be filled with what God has in store, with what God desires. Another example comes out of the Gospel of Matthew, and in this example, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this in Matthew chapter 16. He says, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves. They must take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. Why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? Jesus is hinting at this practice of kenosis, this practice of emptying. And again, it's not just to empty yourself and become a lifeless void, but it's to be emptied so that you can be filled by something greater, to be filled by what God has in store for you. Christ is the perfect example of this. He lays down his life for us. He empties himself even of his own life so that we can have life and have it to the full. When we think about kenosis, the passage that Alan and June read in Philippians chapter 2 is probably the most important passage that we can talk about. And so I want to invite you to go ahead and turn over in your Bible, if you haven't already, uh, to the book of Philippians, uh, the second chapter. And if you uh, want to look in the, in the Bibles in front of you, you can look on page 1,827. And I, I think that's correct. If not, it'll at least get you in the ballpark. Uh, but this passage in Philippians chapter 2, uh, Paul in the first chapter has encouraged the Philippians uh, to live a life worthy of the gospel, to live a life worthy of the gospel. Uh, Now that statement, that sentence haunts my dreams because Paul says that we need to live worthy of the gospel. That's really hard to do. At least it is for me. That's really hard to do. It's really hard to figure out how to live a life worthy of the gospel. And of course, the beauty of it is that we never can live worthy of the gospel, but Paul invites us to aspire to that anyways. That even though we know that we need to rely on Christ, Paul says, go ahead and continue to live as if you can live worthy of the gospel. And so on the heels of that statement in chapter 1, Paul continues on in chapter 2, and he says these words, uh, starting in verse 1. He says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the Spirit, any sympathy, complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united and agreeing with each other. Okay, pause, full stop, because these first two verses of the second chapter sound impossible to me. Do they not? Do they not sound impossible to you? Uh, Somebody tell me an example of how this this verse is impossible. I mean, we live in a world that's so divided and so divisive, and Paul says, uh, be united with Christ. Have the same mind. Agree with each other. We need this now more than ever. What do you think? How, how, how divisive are we? Somebody give me an example. An easy one, social media. You guys are quiet today. Are we not divided? We are. Okay, I heard one person say we are. <laughs> Anybody? Politics. Yeah. Uh, I won't even open that can of worms. But yeah, politics. Uh, how, how can we agree with each other? How can we have the mind of Christ in politics? Anything else? Raising our children. 
I, I don't have children of my own, but I hear stories all the time uh, of parents disagreeing with teachers. Uh, and I know that there are a handful of teachers in the room who are like, yeah, the parents should never disagree with me. I'm, I'm brilliant. I'm, I know exactly what I'm doing. But yeah, think about this. We're so divisive. We're so divided that parents come to teachers and say, I think we should do it this way. And the teacher says, no, I think we should do it this way. All over the place, we find examples and ways to divide ourselves. Anything else? One more? Human rights. Uh, okay, that's a big one. You guys are like not... You, throwing the punches, full, full punches at me this morning. Human rights, yeah, absolutely. So when we think about what, what do people deserve, what do people uh, need in this world, and we have people who disagree about how to go about doing that, right? And so yeah, all over the place. Uh, these first two verses in Philippians are uh, exactly what we need in our world today because all over the place there are examples of division, of divisiveness, of disagreements, and Paul says, have the same mind as Christ. Be united in the Spirit. It's a tough task to do, and he's going to continue on and share with us how we can do that, and I'll give you a hint. It has a lot to do with our word today, kenosis, with emptying yourself of your selfishness, of your sinfulness, and instead choosing to fill yourself with what God desires. So let's continue on uh, in verse 3. Paul says, don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and by becoming like human beings. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly honored him and gave him a name above all names, so that at the name of Jesus everyone in heaven on earth and under the earth might bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my loved ones, just as you always obey me, not just when I'm present, but now even more while I'm away, carry out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God is the one who enables you both to want and to actually live out his good purposes. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, innocent children of God, surrounded by people who are crooked and corrupt. Among these people, you shine like stars in the world because you hold on to the word of life. This will allow me to say on the day of Christ that I haven't run for nothing or worked for nothing, but even if I am poured out like a drink offering upon the altar of service for your faith, I'm glad. I am glad with all of you, and you should be glad about this in the same way. Be glad with me. I love this passage about Jesus. Uh, right in the middle, uh, we have this early church hymn, this early poem. And it's, it's one of the earliest things that people think is written in the New Testament. It's one of the earliest developments within our faith. That uh, before we had any of the writings of Paul, before we had any of the Gospels, we had this hymn that we've spoken about today already. This hymn that tells us about who Jesus is. This hymn who shows us who Jesus is and the kinds of things he has done for us and what happens as a result. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to start with this hymn and I'd like to, to tell us at least three things. And these aren't the only three things, but these are three things that I think are helpful to us today when we talk about kenosis and we think, when we think about how we can engage in this practice of emptying ourselves. And the first is simply that Jesus traveled the distance. And that's really important for all of Christian theology, but especially for this idea of kenosis, that Jesus is the one who started this all off. He's the one who shows us how to do this. He's the one who did the hard work. He shows us what it means to empty yourself. He traveled the distance. He went from the throne room of heaven, from seated next to God, and he took the form of a human being and became like us. He emptied himself. 
took the form of a slave and became like us so that we could understand who this God is and we could understand what this God is all about. Okay, so a couple of things that I want to clear up real fast. Uh, in, in this passage, uh, it says that Jesus took the form of a slave, a human being, which can be a little confusing and can be a little disconcerting, especially when you have our history in the background. But what Jesus, uh, what Paul is, is saying here is not that Jesus uh, think, or not that it's, uh, to be human is to be a slave. Uh, not, not humanity is not slaves to God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that uh, humans have a proclivity to place ourselves under the power of, of the things of this world. Things like sin. Things like death. We have the, the opportunity, each and every one of us, to place ourselves under these and become slaves to them. And so Jesus, uh, he becomes a slave to these powers, just like we ourselves are uh, slaves to these powers. And so it's not, uh, Paul's not saying here that to be human is to be a slave, but he's saying that to be human, uh, we have the opportunity to place ourselves under these powers, and we often do. And Jesus does that to join with us, to be beside us, to be with us. He continues on, and he says uh, that Jesus became human. He emptied himself. Well, the question needs to be asked. What was it then that Jesus emptied himself of? Because we believe that Jesus is not only human, but also divine. So is this emptying, is this Jesus emptying his divinity, his godness? The answer in Christian theology is no. Is this Jesus emptying himself and emptying uh, himself of his glory? Well, no, because uh, as a result of his emptying, he is glorified. And so what is it that Jesus is emptying himself of? Well, most people tend to think that what Paul is talking about here is the, uh, the idea of omniscience, that Jesus empties himself of knowing everything, that Jesus empties himself of, uh, of this idea that he can know everything, he can be in control of everything, that, that somehow that Jesus lets go of that power and that ability, uh, that godlike trait, and becomes like us, becomes like a human. People who have very little control and who seek to grasp what little control they can have and hang on to it very tightly. But Jesus empties himself of that control, of that ability to know everything. Jesus gives it up. I love the way that C.S. Lewis uh, writes this. He, he uses this phrase, the weight of glory. And what we often do as humans is we try to place the weight of glory onto all these different things. And, and what always happens is that they can't bear the weight. They can't bear the weight of glory. But Jesus can. And so even though Jesus here empties himself, he is the one who's able to bear the weight of glory. And he's the one that we should look to as our example of what it means to empty ourselves and so, uh, if Jesus is still uh, fully God and fully man, and, and he's, still, uh, 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 he's still emptying himself, the question is, what is he emptying himself of? Well, he's emptying himself of knowing everything. Okay, and then the next question becomes, what does that lead to? What does a life of emptying yourself lead to? The poem continues and says that Jesus, for Jesus, it leads to him humbling himself even further. Humbling himself to the point of death on a cross. Now, of course, this will result ultimately in his glorification through us, through the action of resurrection. But in that moment, when Jesus empties himself, when he gives himself up, he becomes like us, he becomes like a human being, he humbles himself even further to the point of death. So what does it mean to practice kenosis? What does it mean to engage in this idea of emptying yourself? For Jesus... It means his life. 
It means giving his life away for us. And so if we are to imitate Jesus, if, if we are to practice kenosis, we have to be willing to give up anything and everything. We've practiced that today together. We've taken up two contributions so that we can give to those in other parts of the world, but it's not just about our money. What are the ways that you can empty yourself in your relationships so that what Paul says right before this poem can become true, that instead of you being more important, that you consider others as better than yourself? What are the ways that we can empty ourselves? Well, Jesus says that we need to humble ourselves. And humility is often a painful process, often a difficult process. Let me give you one example uh, of ways that we can humble ourselves. We come to this place every week, and when we gather together, uh, typically me or John Mark, we stand up here and we present to you uh, a text from the scriptures, and then we try to, to tell you how to apply it to your life. We try, we try to, to use this text as a way to say that this story is alive and that we care deeply about this story. And it's funny, when we, when we gather in this place and when we talk about these things, when we read the, the, the scriptures, often we come away thinking, oh, I get it now. I know what that passage is all about. I understand it. As if we could really fully understand what God is trying to tell us. I love uh, in, in uh, my studies and in, in, in people who typically hold these roles, uh, something that is very common is to get a degree, a master's level degree. And does anybody know what those master's level degree that, that's very popular for preachers to have is called? John Mark, do you know what it's called? You've got one. Master of Divinity as if we could master the divine. And I get it. I understand that that's not the point of the title of the degree. It's just a title. But isn't that funny? We come to this place and we think, oh, I can understand it. As if we can fully grasp what God is doing. And we call the degrees for people who stand up here and preach masters of divinity. Isn't that funny? We think we can control it. But Jesus gives us an example and he says, humble yourself. Give up everything. Empty yourself so that you can be filled instead with what God has to bring to your life. He continues on after this poem. He says this interesting phrase. He says that he desires that the Philippians will be blameless and pure so that they can shine like stars in a world that doesn't look that way very often. I think that's really interesting. He wants us to shine like stars, to stand out as a beacon in a world that is in desperate need of guidance and light. You see, this practice of kenosis, when we empty ourselves, it doesn't just lead to our emptying ourselves and giving ourselves away and, and, and seeking to, to do good things for other people and thinking of them as better than ourselves. It also leads not only to ourselves being changed, but our world being changed. And this is part of Paul's point. When he says, when he looks around and he says, uh, this world is in desperate need. It's crooked and corrupt and it needs light. It needs guidance. It needs people who will show them uh, the beauty of the way of Jesus. Paul says that to do this is to practice kenosis, and it leads to ourselves being changed and our world being changed. A couple weeks ago, John Mark and I had the opportunity to sit together at lunch with a, a handful of other Dallas area uh, preachers and, and ministers, and we were discussing and we were reflecting upon the trial uh, that took place a couple of weeks ago, the trial of Amber Geiger uh, that took place after the events of last year where uh, Botham John lost his life. And we were reflecting with the preacher uh, of the church, Dallas West Church of Christ, uh, where Botham attended and served. And we were reflecting with him and listening to him. And uh, he, he shared with us what it was like to be in the room when Botham's brother, Brant, offered that forgiveness to Amber Geiger. It was a powerful moment. 
And it's a moment that people will look to for decades, maybe even for centuries, to say that's what Christianity is all about. It's all about moments like that. Beautiful moments where somebody can overcome the pain and the hurt in their life. Think about what Brant had to do to empty himself of the, of the hurt and the anger in order to have that moment with Amber. But he continued on, and he said, immediately after that moment in the courtroom, we left the courtroom, and Botham's mother went before the cameras and said, even though my son has offered forgiveness to her, the city of Dallas needs to take a hard look in the mirror, a hard look at the injustice that's present. And, and we need to do the work to root that out. And I love those examples side by side with each other. Because isn't that our story? Justice and mercy? Isn't that who God is calling us to be in the world? People who seek justice in our communities, in our world, for the people who, who have been hurt and, and, and uh, who have experienced harm, and yet also extending forgiveness and mercy. I love those examples side by side because it shows how we as individuals can be changed. We can be changed by the message of mercy and forgiveness. But it also shows the example of how our world can be changed, a world that is crooked and corrupt and is in need of the justice that God wants to bring to this place. Paul says that we are ones who should shine like stars, that when we look to Jesus as our example of kenosis, we can see that he gave up everything. He humbled himself even to the point of death. He gives us our example. He shows us what it means to do, that we should be filled instead with God's love, mercy, forgiveness, and justice, and that when we do that, when we engage this practice of kenosis, it leads to ourselves being changed and the world around us being changed. It's a beautiful example, a beautiful uh, way to talk about the Christian story, that the heart of it all is this idea that God is both merciful and just. So this week, when we think about what does it mean to be Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean, perhaps, to engage this practice of kenosis? Well, I hope that you will think, I need to listen to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who shows me how. He's the one who traveled the distance. He's the one who did the, the heavy lifting, the hard work. He showed me how to do this. And then I hope that you'll engage the practice of humility. Because even after Jesus emptied himself, he went even further and humbled himself. And after you humble yourself, I hope that you'll see the ways that you have opportunities to help change yourself and the wider world around you. To empty ourselves is not just to become lifeless and void. To empty ourselves, to practice kenosis, is to instead be filled with God's Spirit. To be filled by God's love and the life that God is trying to extend to us and offer to us. A life defined by goodness and mercy and justice. Lives of those who follow this Jesus. Here in just a moment, we're going to continue our worship together. But as we do that, uh, I would like to extend an invitation to anyone who's interested in baptism. If you want to know what it looks like, if you want to know what it means to give your life to this, uh, to, to practice kenosis through baptism, I would love to visit with you down front. 
Uh, also, at the same time, our elders are going to gather around the room with their spouses, and they would love to spend some time in prayer with you. If you have any needs, if you have something going on that you just want to spend a moment in prayer with them, they would love to get the opportunity to do that with you. But would you uh, join us in standing and worshiping at this time? <laughs>